Did you notice the people stood? Uh, when the law was read, it became, it's a, it's a crack of dawn to noonday. They stood for six hours. So here we go. No, we're just going to stand and continue just in prayer. Let us pray. Father, would you open the eyes of our hearts to see the truth of your law? And may it lead us to your son in the ways that we can rejoice, in the ways that our lives can, can, can be this uh, amazing party, of this amazing joy, that in the midst of the tears, in the midst of the sorrow, in the midst of the sin, in the midst of the brokenness, we know we have Jesus. Because of him, we have life. So come and, and show us Jesus through this worship and through this preaching and through the meal before us. Give us the eyes to see him so that we can rejoice in all that he has done for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, how many of you all have, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you all have a GPS system in your car? Uh, you know, those are pretty amazing. Maybe you have that. Maybe you have it on your phone nowadays or your iPad or, or some kind of uh, GPS thing to help you, maps, this direct where you need to go. Let me ask you this. Do you trust it? Do you trust the GPS? It reminds me, uh, there was a, an episode, those of you who love The Office, uh, it was in season four, episode two. Don't think I remember that stuff. Uh, I, I looked it up, all right? But I remember the episode of The Office. Uh, Michael, who's the branch manager, was railing against technology and, and didn't like uh, all the new changes that were coming. And he decides to take Dwight, the quirky best salesman in the office, who's as odd as the day is long. And, and they were going to go back out to their customers that they'd lost. And they were, they were going to bring back these customers. And they were going to do it the old-fashioned way. They weren't going to use technology. They were going to use what always works all the time, gift baskets. And so they loaded up their, their car, and, and Michael's car was in the shop. So they had a, a rental car with a GPS system in it. And they were striking out left and right. They got, they got one more stop to go to some country club uh, by the lake. And they're listening to the, uh, the GPS and that, that lady's voice comes on. Maybe you have it. Maybe you know it. Ding. Next right. Turn right. So Michael proceeds to start turning the car right. It, what he thinks is the next right, but it's clearly a boat ramp or some kind. And there's a, there's a little bit of a, an argument that takes place between Dwight and Michael. And, and Dwight say, no, 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 the next right, it's, it's right up there. It's, it's right there. You don't do this. And Michael says, well, it told me to turn right. And so he turns his car and right in front of him is a lake and he drives straight into the lake because technology told him to go straight. He thought the GPS would uh, never lead him astray. And again, there was probably more user error than anything. I got to tell you, I had a similar experience. I was uh, up in the Adirondacks in the wintertime and uh, trying to find a friend's home. And I was not using his directions. And I was using my, uh, my apps thing on my phone. And, and as kind of going along, it told me to turn left on this street. I remember looking at the street saying, really? 
you really want me to turn left here? And as I, I turned left, I mean, I'm telling you, it was a, it was a barren street. And the further you went, I kind of creeped along and the snow, it was just canopied. And, and I went a little bit further and a little bit further. And, and pretty soon I panicked saying, if, if I go any further, they're not going to find me to the spring. I mean, this place is, this is way out in the middle of nowhere. And later I found out it's a great way to get there in the summer. It's a great way to get there. But can I really trust uh, that GB, GPS thing that said, turn left. Let me ask you a question. What do you trust in your life to guide you? What do you trust? What do you put your trust in that will guide you in life? What guidance system, so to speak, do you use? Uh, maybe a businessman and woman, they, they use the, the Wall Street Journal. Um, many people in our world today still use a daily horoscope. Can you figure that? Trying to figure the stars or some way of guiding your life. Yeah, I know that the show's over, but how many people in America used Oprah? Oprah to kind of guide your guidance system, uh, navigating through life. Well, maybe the question will be answered of what do you use for your guidance system if you want to say, what's your destination? What's your destination? Now, let's be honest. Don't our destinations all have a similar ring to them? I mean, I bet you that if we boil it all down, we'd all pretty much say the same thing. I mean, the destination we long for, the destination we hope for in life is, is joy. I mean, it's living a life of, of meaning, of substance. It's, it's life. I mean, what, there, what is our destination? It truly is to, to live a life that's worthy of living and one that has happiness and joy included in it. Well, it seems like as sinners, uh, amazingly, we've been made in God's image. Uh, we're his masterpiece. He made us in holiness and beauty. He made us for him. But this sin thing has clogged up our own guidance system. This sin thing has defiled everything about us. And because of the fact that we're broken and fallen, we have a tendency always to look for the wrong thing to guide our lives. Scripture tells us uh, that we really need to be guided by God's word and God's word alone. It's a Westminster Confession of Faith. It's the question number two. That it's the word of God that will, that will lead us and guide us to live our lives in a way that bring God glory and enjoy him. Now you might be saying, now wait a minute, is that really the life I want to live? But let's don't forget the reality. If we've been made in his image and we've been made for him, the life that we want to live or the life that we, we need to live to have him receive glory. And listen, listen, for us to receive joy, joy, do you really believe it? Joy is to follow God's word. And we, also, we have a tendency just to look at all the, the wrong things. Well, let me give a quick recap to, to Nehemiah. We're, we're in the book of Nehemiah and the book of the story of Nehemiah is an amazing story. It's about to take an amazing shift if you remember, uh, if you've been with us, that, that uh, God's people, uh, they were in shambles. Their city of Jerusalem, their holy city was broken down for nearly 150 years. And, and God put his good right hand on a man named Nehemiah. And he empowered him to go and lead um, God's people in this Herculean effort to rebuild the walls. Because until the walls are re rebuilt, they're, they're susceptible to the enemy. Until the walls are re rebuilt, they're a reproach. Until the walls are rebuilt, God God's name is getting dragged through the mud. And so God puts his hand on Nehemiah. And in 52 days, God's people do this Herculean building project. And amazingly, they erect the walls. 
Well, here we are in chapter 8, and and the walls have been built, and so the focus has changed. And we know the focus of the story changes because of a couple different things. First of all, it's this. The story goes from first person to third person. Nehemiah has been telling the story all along, and now it's going to shift to a, a, a third person focus. But not only that, the star of the story, I mean, the star is always going to be God and his son Jesus, but the focus of Nehemiah is going to shift. It's going to shift from Nehemiah to Ezra, the priest. And you may want to ask, well, why is the shift being taken here? Because now Ezra is going to step in, and instead of building a wall, a construction project, what is the focus right now is to build a community. The focus of Nehemiah is now going to be, we got to build a community for God. These are God's people. And so Ezra, the priest, is going to lead them uh, through this rebuilding of a community. Um, And that's why that focus is upon him. And as you look in your bulletin, you'll see an outline if you want to focus on that. Uh, The focus of rebuilding a community, it begins with God's word. It begins right here. I mean, this is where uh, God's people are built up together. This is where we learn about God and what he requires of us and, and who he is and what his son has done for us. And we see three things in this amazing story. Uh, uh, Evan did a great job reading it. Vicki read it last week, so we really should have this one down. But we see uh, three things. The posture of a community under God's word. How should we be as a church? How should we view God's word? What should be our postures? Really the first question that's answered for us here. The second one is this, the practice of the pastor unfolding God's word. What should the pastors do? The elders, the leaders, those that God has raised up to help explain the word. We'll see the practice of the pastor unfolding the word. And then thirdly, what might surprise you, what might surprise you, they almost seem scandalous, is that we'll see the party producing joy of understanding the word of God. I mean, seriously, a lot of people think I uh, have a, maybe a, a wrong Puritan view of God's word that, that you know, this is, is a hammer that will, will take away, uh, will kill all of our joy. Uh, this is something that God wants to put on us as a yoke and a burden uh, so that we can live dragging our lives for him and his glory. No, God has given us a love letter, an amazing love letter. It's, it's holy, but it's alive, it's active. And God says, this is your guidance system for you. And listen, I want it to lead to a party. I mean, really, not just any party. I mean, but the, the filet mignon kind and the sweetest wine kind and, 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 the, and the strawberry shortcakes, because we all know that that's the best dessert. I mean, that, that kind of, of party is what God's word wants to lead us to. So those three things. Let's begin. The first one is the posture of a community under God's word. It's amazing. Uh, as we read this and we see this shift in verse 8, the people are gathering at a place called Watergate. Um, and we see that they're unified through God's word. Look at verse 1. They gathered as one man. You know, it's amazing how diverse, and God certainly loves variety. Does he not? Does God not love variety? I mean, God must be really pleased with making people red, yellow, black, and white. He must be really pleased to let there be Republicans and Democrats and independents and independents. And I mean, what amazing variety. But I want you to know throughout scripture, there's an amazing emphasis on unity and oneness. When Jesus came as the word of God made flesh, he says, I've come to knock down any dividing wall that separates us. Ephesians 2, very interesting, in in verses like 13 through 18, says this. Jesus says, I've come to destroy hostility that exists, that separates you and me from a holy God. But listen, that separates you and me from one another. 
And Jesus says, I've come in such a way as the word of God made flesh that I've come to make one person, one person in Christ Jesus, one humanity, one. When Jesus prays in John 17, his highly priestly prayer before his death on the cross, he's praying to his father and what he's praying for is unity. God, as as you and I are one in this magnificent mystery of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, equal in substance and glory, yet three distinct persons, as we exist in unity and oneness, will you please give oneness to our people, to my people, to your people? See, God's plan all along in the midst of this amazing variety and amazing diversity that brings him great joy is that we would be united. And the way he unites us is under his word. This fall, we're going to launch our community groups. We're about, a, we're about a month away. We're so excited. We've done so much getting ready for community groups. And what do we want to do? We really believe that part of what God does to bring us and unify us together is under his word. It's to unify us, to make us one. And we're going to be a little bit separate as we move toward two worship services and, and try to maximize our worship time. But we know we still got to be together. And here's where we got to be together. We got to be together under God's word. So as we launch them, we're going to launch them as sermon based. Uh, basically, it's this. You come to church on Sunday. You hear the sermon. We're going to be going through the fruit of the spirit to start off with. And then every one of our, uh, every one of our small groups, we're going to ask them to do the exact same thing, to study what we just preached on. And we're going to ask God, unify us under the word. Unify. Now, you know what? I'm excited to be able to go to Publix and be able to say to you, what small group are you in? What community group? And isn't it great? And know that we will be unified under God's word. I don't know how long we'll do sermon-based. Uh, maybe we'll start doing other stuff. There's other great stuff out there. But I know this reality. God's word, when God's people are under it, it unifies us. Because it shows us who we are in Christ Jesus. Not only were they unified under God's word, they also had a hunger for God's word. Did you notice in verse 1, who asked Ezra to go get his Bible, if you will? Who asked? It's a people. It's amazing. They gathered around. They said, they tell, said to the priest, would you open up the word for us? They had a hunger for it. Would you go get us God's word? We long to hear it. Maybe because they've been in Babylon and maybe because they've been away from uh, uh, the promises of God and his word and they didn't have access to it. Now they're back home. And man, did they have a hunger for God's word. It was such a hunger that they stood to hear it. They longed to hear it. And they stood and they stood probably five to six hours. That's a hunger, is it not? I mean, that's a hunger for God's word. I mean, what is a hunger for our word? I mean, we got about a 30-minute hunger, you know? And then it's for the pot roast. Uh, but it's amazing hunger for God's word that they had. And they knew the reality of things like Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are the words, uh, your words to my mouth. Sweeter to my mouth than honey. And they knew that Psalm 119, 105 was true. Your word, O Lord, it's a lamp unto my feet and a life unto my path. Why were they hungry for God's word? They felt that it would lead them to truth. They felt that it would lead them to life and to joy. And as I wrestled with this and think, you know, God, why, why do we have such an apathy for God's word? I mean, how many Bibles do you own and how often do you look in? And, and, and why is there just such a, such a, such a, little thimble full of, of uh, desire of it sometimes. And I got to tell you, is it because we don't really believe that's going to lead us to life? Do we not hunger for it because we're hungering for the world to tell us how to live? Are we hungering for the world to tell us how to be successful and joyful? Are we hungering for what the world has to offer? 
I mean, I hope to God that the Spirit of God will come here with such a way that gives us a, an amazing hunger for the Word that we will be able to say, you know, it's sweeter than honey. I mean, it, it truly is a light into my feet, into my path. I hunger for it because I hunger for God, and I know for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. There's a hunger for the Word. Then there's a attentiveness to the Word. In verse 3 and verse 5, verse 3, all the ears were attentive. I mean, they anticipated to hear from God. I mean, well, it's, it's every preacher's dream. You stand up and every ear is like, whoo. And why? Was it, was it because Ezra was like, like uh, the Tim Keller or the John Piper of his time? Not necessarily. It's because they wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to see God incarnate through the word. And so their ears were attentive. They expected to hear from God. Their eyes were focused. They focused on the word. They saw him. And it wasn't, he didn't open up the book. He took the scroll. That's what they would do. They would open up the scroll. And they would read. And by the way, they were probably reading the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Maybe read it all the way through for those six hours. But man, were they attentive. I hope you pray for me before you come to church. I hope you pray. And I hope you pray and say, God, I, I know Jeff, and, and man, he, he needs you. And, um, and, and please pray that, that God uses me as I pray and that, that he'll speak for me, through me. But I hope you pray for you. I, mean, I hope you pray for you saying, God, I, I expect to hear from you. God, I'm going, you know what? And, and Jeff may not be on his A game and, and it may not be the text I need to hear, but God, if it's true, if Isaiah 55 is true, that your word will never come back void. If Isaiah 55 is true and it'll always accomplish the purpose that you have set out to do it. God, give me the ears to hear. Give me the ears to hear. Come with a posture. Listen, come to church, not, not being with a critical mindset. Come here to church with the expecting mindset. God, I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. I mean, it really, it's, it's your word that I need to hear. Your word I need to live through. And it's just, it's, this is going to be a change in all of us. So pray for me. Pray that I, I can uh, effectively preach God's word. What a challenge. But pray for you. Pray for your ears. That your eyes would be focused. Your ears would be attentive. Man, they had respect for God's word. I mean, they all stood, and they stood a long time. I remember I was on a mission trip not too long ago, and uh, uh, we, were, we were meeting for devotions, and I was sitting down. I took my Bible, and I put it on the floor. One of the, one of the missionaries looked at me like, what's wrong? I mean, again, I, I'm probably a little casual. About, you know, I just kind of fold it up, and, and I don't think God's up in heaven thinking, don't fold your Bible. But my point is, they had such a respect for it. You know, it was God's word. It was God's word, and you just don't toss it. Um, and I, it just kind of just caught me by surprise of how flippant I could see God's word at times. They weren't flippant at God's word. They stood. God's people, what they do? They stood. They affirmed. Now, <laughs> I want you to look at the wonderful uh, denominations, uh, the quirkiness that we see uh, from what happened. They stand for how long? Six hours. What do they do? They hear the word. They say, amen, amen, uh, which means truly, truly. They're putting themselves under God's word. They're affirming God's word. They're not sitting in judgment over God's word. And so when God's word is read, they yell, amen, amen. Who do you think of? What denomination? The Baptists. We got the Baptists here. Amen, brother. Amen. I mean, they were, they were amen. And then they lifted up their hands. Who do we got here? They got charismatics were there. They were there, you know. They were lifting up their hands. Why? Uh, because they were saying, God, come and meet with me. Come and feed me. Oh, God, do I need to hear from you? I don't know how you are with worship. I mean, maybe raising your hands is doing it in your heart, and that's fine. I mean, I grew up in a tradition where I didn't raise my hands a whole lot, and I've become a lot more charismatic over the years. Every once in a while, I'll break the plane right there. Yeah, that's, that's a hard plane for me right there, you know. <laughs> that's scary. Here, I'm comfortable. Here, ooh, I mean, but, but what they did is they raised their hands because they're saying, God, listen, 
come to me like an antenna. God, I, I, amen, amen, your word. I need to hear it. And, and God, I'm going to lift the hands up to you and say, speak to me because I need to hear from you. They bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Who do you think of if they're going up and down? And they kind of had a little bit of Catholic in them maybe, you know? They had the kneelers out. They were, they were bowing. Um, but the bottom line is here is not to divide up who has it right and who does it right. We know we do. We do it decently in order. That's not the argument. And I'm glad you're laughing. But the bottom line is, is that we have all of our worship God-focused. God-focused in the way that we realize this is amen. This is God's word. We're going to respect it. We're going to stand for it. I mean, God's love letter is right here. It's living and active. And we're, we're just going to be such a grateful people when it's, be, when it's being preached or being read. Amen, Lord. I may, may not get that yet, but God, amen. Let's, let me understand. And God, I'm lifting my, my heart up to you right now so you will speak to me. And, and, and God, I want to bow down before this and worship you through this. Okay, not only this, us also postures are broken under God's word. I mean, they wept as the law was read. I mean, in a lot of ways, this amazing story of God and how he loves us and redeems us, it's like a mirror. And God uses his word sometimes. And as we look into it, guess what? We're going to see who we really are. And as we see who we really are, we see our brokenness and our filth and our sin and our repeated uh, sinless, sinful life and habits and patterns. And it starts to become ugly. And, and you know what? God's word should cause us at times to weep over the fact that we live our lives in an unholy manner before a holy God. That's what God's word is supposed to do. I mean, have you read God's word and wept? And if you have, you know you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know that you're reading it rightly because as they read the law, they wept because they knew they were standing before a holy God. It's like Isaiah when he realized, got a picture from heaven he says, woe is me, I'm an unclean man and I live among people of unclean lips. It's like Peter when he saw Jesus and he realized who Jesus was in his boat. He says, depart from me, Jesus. I'm an unclean man. I'm a sinner. This is a part of the, war, the, the law that should cause us to be broken, to realize how weak that we really are. But there's joy. Joy in knowing God's word. Look at verse 12. They just had great joy. Great joy. Why? Because they got it. They understood it. And, and listen, we're coming up in just a few minutes to that third part, that party producing joy. We'll come back to that because I want you to know how in the world can you have two things? How can you have the reality that God's law breaks your heart and gives you joy? We'll see you in just a minute. Though, how about the pastor? Let's talk about that. The, past, the, the practice of the pastor unfolding God's word. And now we saw the, the posture of God's people under God's word. Here's the practice of the pastor unfolding God's word. First of all, we see, which is so beautiful, speak the word to all the people. Verses two and three. You know the joy that Christianity is not a religion just for men? Do you know that Christianity is about a relationship with a true and holy God for everyone? Male, female, children, anyone who could understand, anyone was there. I love that reality. And that's why we have such a passion here at this church for children. That's why we, we have such a passion for our children's ministry and want to make it better and come tonight at four and learn how you can help. That's why we have OCS and 700 students here every week and, and MCP, Maitland Community Preschool, and another 120 kids here every week. That's why we have 800 kids on our campus weekly, not including Sunday morning. Because we realize that we got to be giving God's word to all people, young and old alike. That's why we have the most amazing teacher over our senior saints with Dr. K and Doug Fleming and Marty Bonzoff and others. So speak the word to all people. Well, not only that, keep the word above the people. 
what they do? They, it says they built a platform for Ezra. The literal word there, it's usually used in the Hebrew for tower. They built a tower for the guy. They wanted him to tower over the people. And there's great uh, a figure. Uh, we could see this image of God's word above the people. When I was in upstate New York, I, I met with uh, some friends of ours who um, both she and her husband have been elders in a, in a Presbyterian church up north. And um, she stepped down and didn't feel biblically qualified as she examined scripture and didn't think that was her role. And it's interesting as he is in that fight, they're fighting to see what they're going to do with homosexuality and, and ordaining uh, their, their pastors. So what they decided to do, they decided to have a debate. They decided to have everybody come and tell us what you think we should do. And really what they've done is they've taken God's word and they don't elevate it. They've taken God's word and they've actually step on it and say we're the ones who ultimately are going to be the authority. That the, that the most uh, uh, poignant orator uh, is going to be the one who wins the day. And what do you think this is all about? And what do you think we should do? And we'll find out next chapter that they kind of put the word behind their back. I'm not here to try to knock down other denominations, but I'm here to tell you if we're not a people who doesn't lift up God's word, if we're not under God's word, we are on a slippery slope. We see it all around us. We got to keep the word above the people. And then we got to unfold the word uh, among the people. In verse eight, interesting, they stood where they are. I mean, uh, Ezra and the, and the Levites, they went out to the people. They went where they stood and they unfolded God's word. Let me explain to you what this is saying. They took the word to the people. And again, that's, that's our passion as elders and, 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 and pastors. How do we get the word to the people? I mean, uh, there's been some wonder. Is, is Orangewood changing their emphasis on the word? I mean, this fall, we're not going to have Sunday school equipping uh, classes. Is there a de-emphasis of the word of God? Absolutely not. We're trying to take it to you. Only 25% of you come to our Sunday school. And we know that we'll never be unified. We'll never be a community under God's word. We'll never do what God wants us to do until we're living underneath it. So we're trying to take it to you where you are and bring it to you. Try to be like Ezra and, and, and the Levites to say where you are. We want, to, we want to be there in your homes and we want to open up God's word. We'll come back to discovering series. We, we want other things on Sunday morning. But that's where we are right now. Lastly, party producing joy of understanding God's word. You see, the great joy of knowing scripture is because it reveals this. If you tuned out to everything else, you've got to tune in now because this is it. This is unbelievable. You see, the great joy of knowing scripture is it reveals to us this truth. Did you see a little phrase in there that says this? The joy of the Lord is our strength. I mean, unbelievably, God's word was being read. People are being crushed under the weight of God's law. They're realizing their own sin. And all of a sudden, Nehemiah, Ezra, and the Levites said, no, 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 no. This is not a day of weeping. This is a day of partying. Why? Because they throw out this little phrase, the joy of the Lord is our strength. You've got to tune into this. This is unbelievable. Because what this is saying is the joy of the Lord, that word strength right there, it means the joy of the Lord is our protection. It's our refuge. It's our strong tower. Well, what does that really mean? It's this. The word of God was revealing to them that there is a holy God who is just. And that they would be accountable for their sins and they wept. But the gospel was preached to say, well, wait, wait, wait. There's joy in the reality that the joy of the Lord is our protection. God is forever faithful. God is forever loving. God's mercy never fails. Are you ready for this? He will provide you 
a Messiah. He will provide you one who will become your sin. He will provide for you an advocate. He will provide for you one who has to do more than live a perfect life. Do you know that? Jesus had to do more than live a perfect life. He had to die a death. He had to shed his blood. Why? So that we could be protected from a holy, angry God at sin. And now we could live in his love and his mercy and his joy because the joy of the Lord is our strength and his name is Jesus and he's the one we hide in. He's the one who's our refuge. He's the one who's our tower. They said we are supposed to go and party and have the fat of the meat, have the best meat, the best filet mignon, the best prime rib. If you're, if you're a, uh, uh, what's the word that don't eat meat? If you're a, uh, Vegetarian, you don't know what you're missing, all right? I mean, that's what scripture right here. I'm just kidding. But and then you go, listen, go eat this, drink the sweetest of wine. Get the, you, the best you can get. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Why? Because God has provided you with one who will protect you named Jesus. Listen, they only had a hope of it to come and they partied. We know the reality. We know his name. We know the cross. We know the work. We've heard it's finished. Should we not be a party-producing congregation that lives in the midst of that joy? That is just the reality. It's such good news. And listen, we don't know how good it is until we let the Word of God break our hearts. We can't skip to it. You see, you don't have that party-producing joy until you go through the tears. Until you go to you realize the pond-producing scum You are apart from Christ. Let the word break you and let Jesus remake you. Let the word break you. And listen, you don't have to fake it. You don't have to hide from it. It's just a reality. And let Jesus come and make you whole. Because of that reality, there should be joy in eating, joy in giving. They gave to anyone who is in need and joy in knowing. Anything else, Orangewood, will lead us astray. Anything else. We looked at God's word, we say it's inerrant, it's without error. We looked at God's word, we say it's infallible. It will never lead us into a lake. We have to pass through some trials, but ultimately it will lead us to him. Jesus came and he set his face like flint and said, okay, God, you are my guidance. And that guidance is gonna lead me to a cross. And I'm gonna willingly go so that the joy of the Lord can be my people's strength. I'm going to give them a meal to remind them of it. I'm going to feed them through this. I'm going to remind them of the sacrifice. I'm going to remind them of my love tangibly. They can taste it so that we can live a party-producing life, a community gathered under God's word. Let us pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. May we be people who have the right posture under your word. God, may the pastors and the elders, may we do a good job unfolding your word. And Father God, we pray that the word of God that would lead us to Jesus in such a way that we would see his beauty and realize we got reason to party. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.